<clears throat> Hello there. It's been a while since I recorded, but I'm glad to be back. What spurred me on, I guess, is a number of things that have happened in the world, in the universe, since I stopped. And I want to get back to doing some of my favorite pieces of the uh, what is life about and what gives meaning to life. So I've decided to go to Matthew chapter 25. And this is what it says. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. A stranger and you welcomed me. Naked and you clothed me, ill and you cared for me, in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, whenever you did for the one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. I really believe this is one of the most unique passages in the Gospels, unique to Matthew, of course, only found here, nowhere else. And it talks about what it really means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, to do what Jesus wants us to do. And if we do these things, we often find that we do feel good. We do feel happier. We do feel more alive. And I think it's important to understand what this passage is about. For in it, it talks about the kingdom, that Jesus is going to bring about a kingdom. And it's a very interesting thing because the kingdom of God is often very much misrepresented, misunderstood, and misplaced. Where is the kingdom? The kingdom is here and now. Jesus talks about the kingdom in each of the Gospels. Three quotes. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities. For I was sent here for this purpose. So Luke says that Jesus has come to preach the kingdom. He went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's in Matthew. The gospel, the good news about the kingdom. And then it says, And when Jesus saw that he, a scribe, answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, a quote from Mark. 
And each of these is trying to bring out the point that Jesus is bringing us to the kingdom. He wants us to understand what is the kingdom of God. The main reason Jesus came in all of the gospels is to get us into the kingdom. So what is this kingdom? What, where is it? Where, how do we find it? What, how do we get into it? And the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the two phrases we hear in the gospel books about the kingdom. It's the way the gospels talk about the kingdom. Now, there is a distinction. How come sometimes we see kingdom of heaven? How some sometimes we see kingdom of God? Kingdom of heaven is a substitute term for the word God, all right? When Jesus was talking to the Jewish people, he would use kingdom of heaven because the word for God, Yahweh, was too sacred to say, so he wouldn't use it. When he spoke to the Gentiles to get them on board, he talked to the Gentiles. Gentiles are all people who are not Jews. In Jesus' time, you were either a Jew or a Gentile. A Gentile was a non-Jew. A Gentile was referred to by Jesus as saying he wants to bring them into the kingdom of God. So, what is this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven? Well, a couple of things I want to get across is what it is not. It is not a Pacific territory. It's not a place that is right here. You will find it. You'll get there. It's not an area of human activity. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a proposition about God who reigns as king. Now, it's a real problem in America, particularly, that we don't really like kings. Our whole history is based upon revolting against the king of England. And most of the time, and when we tell stories, the king isn't usually a good guy. But in the time of Jesus, kings were the people who were in charge of an area. And there was good kings, and there were a lot of bad kings. But when the people talk about Jesus being a king who's going to bring in a kingdom, they're talking about what a good king does. And what does a good king do? First of all, as you know from one of my earlier talks, and I always hope that when, when you're listening to any one talk that you've hopefully listened to all the ones previously, but just go back for a second, a king was an anointed person. He was a nabi, he was a prophet. And a king was anointed to be a good king. And what do good kings do? Good kings take care of their people. They make sure their people are safe from foreigners who would hurt them. And they make sure they're safe from the other people in the kingdom. He tries to protect all of his people. A good king would be in charge to make sure everybody has a job. Everybody has a way of making enough food, clothes, and shelter to be okay. A king 
who was a good king, wanted to make sure all of his people thrived with him, that the whole kingdom would be a thriving place where everybody would be at peace, where everybody would have enough food, clothes, and shelter. So you can see how when Jesus talks about getting ready for the kingdom, these very acts that Jesus was talking about are the things that make a kingdom, that make a good kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, it's a situation. It's a state of affairs. It's a relationship between us and God and other people. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is brought about through God's redemptive activity, meeting with man's response. What is God's redemptive activity? God sent Jesus into the world to teach us how to treat each other. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick, take care of the imprisoned. He's telling us what it means. And it's a really amazing thing because that quote from Matthew is at the end of the gospel. It doesn't say go to church. doesn't say go to mass. It doesn't say, you know, establish a big organization. It says do these things for the least people. And that's what the kingdom is about. The reign of God is when people realize that what Jesus has taught them is a good way to live. And if it's a good way to live, then you're going to enjoy living. The reign of God prevails. The reign of God is happening when everything is right between God and man, between men and all other men, and between men and creation. In Hebrew, there's a word shalom. And shalom is used today in Hebrew very much as hello, how are you? Hope everything's okay. But its original translation was shalom meant, may be you experience peace. And what did it mean by that? It meant that you experience that you and God are in a right relationship. Remember I said the kingdom of God is about a relationship. Kingdom of God is when you and God are in a right relationship. You feel comfortable with God. You feel you're in the presence of God. You feel that God is with you. And you feel that between you and all other people, you are in a right relationship. You are being kind to all the people you know. You are loving them. You are caring for them. You are helping all these people. That you and everybody around you are in right relationship. And the third thing is is also to make peace, right relationship, is that you and nature are in right relationship. We have seen at this time in our lives the problem of climate change and what man is not doing right for the world, how we're not taking good care of the world. If you remember back in Genesis when I talked about what was man supposed to do? Man is supposed to take care of the world. It's supposed to protect the world. It's supposed to make sure the world is in good shape. Don't pollute the rivers and streams. Don't pollute the air. Don't mess up nature's process. And the kingdom of God comes about when you're in right relationship with God, with all other people, and nature itself. 
So we have a lot of work to do on this idea of getting ready for the kingdom, of being able to bring about the kingdom today. I want to end with one of my, uh, this section, I want to end with this new idea about caring for others. When I was in the Merchant Marine, when I was 20 years old, I sailed down to, from New York, all the way down to South America. And the last place we went into was a place called Paranagua. Paranagua is on the very southern tip of Brazil. And to get into this port, this is back in the 1960s when I went down, we, the ship came into a, a lagoon type area and we put down anchor and we were, I was told we were waiting for the guide to bring us into the port. Now we're on a C3 freighter. It's about the length of a football field. It's it's pretty big boat, big ship. And we're waiting for this guy. And all of a sudden I see this canoe come out, literally a canoe, two guys paddling, one in front and one in back, a guy in the middle sitting there with a, you know, captain's type hat on his head. And it comes out towards the ship and we lower down a rope ladder down the side of the ship and they pull up next to the rope ladder and this little skinny guy comes running up the rope ladder just with a little loincloth on his, and his captain's hat and they're going to give over to him the steerage of the ship. They're gonna, he's going to tell them how to aim the ship going down this river. And then for about two or three hours, we're going down this river to get to the port of Paranagua. And we pull into this port and there's nothing around. I can see from the ship a whole bunch of warehouses down down a block, couple blocks from where the ship is. There's no real houses, there's some shacks, but there are these tin covered roofs, buildings, about five or six of them, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile down from the ship. So all of a sudden the sirens go off from these buildings and and the and the uh, guide is we're tooting the horn of the ship and all of a sudden hundreds of people start coming out of the jungle where you couldn't see them and they start making their way down to these houses meanwhile this uh, on the ship we're creating a whole planks we create these two planks so that you can get onto the ship and get off so there's two ways, one way coming on and one way going off. And all of a sudden the people start lining up and they have great big baskets on their head and they're filling up the baskets with coffee beans. And they're taking the coffee beans down to the ship and they're dumping them in the hull of the ship. Well, I tell you, it was the most incredible sight. The hull of the ship is immense. When on our way down to South America, we had trucks and bulldozers and huge construction equipment in the hull of the ship. We had unloaded all of that in, in the other ports that we hit in Brazil. But now we're getting ready to go back up to the United States. And obviously one of the big things we're taking is the coffee. So for all day long, the people are coming and going, 
dropping the, the coffee beans in. And I mean, by the end of the day, we weren't maybe a quarter full at the absolute most. They knock off when it gets dark. And I had no uh, duties that night except doing dinner. So after dinner, I decided to go into the village, see what was around. So I go in and they had a little marketplace. I'm looking through the marketplace. And all of a sudden I spot this other very white guy <laughs> walking around the marketplace, obviously not a native of the area. And I go over and talk to him and I find out that he and his wife and five children were down there with a program called Catholics for Latin America. And he decided to come down with his wife and children for five years. The kids were maybe two to seven, I'd say. And he figured they can spend five years there helping people. And he was setting up a factory to uh, help this town develop a factory to do uh, transistor radios. And his wife was a nurse and she was training the women to be midwives and basic nursing that they could learn. And they would commit themselves for five years. I looked at them, are you out of your minds? No, you're in the middle of nowhere. He says, well, we're healthy, our kids are healthy. We, we're, you know, she's a, my wife's a nurse. We figure we'll be okay and the kids will be able to learn and we can help these people for five years try to create a great business for them. These people were living out what the Matthew's Gospel was about. They were down there to help the people clothe themselves, feed themselves, learn a trade, and make it on their own. It was a fantastic moment, and I was really stunned by it when I had met them. Well, I'm going to uh, close off right now, and we'll come back a little later. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hi. We're back for podcast number 16. I do want to recommend, of course, if you haven't listened to 15, you might get a little lost here in number 16. And I do recommend, of course, it's best to listen to them all in order. I think that way you can follow along with what I'm saying. Anyway, what we are talking about in the last episode was what did you need to get into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? And in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 41, basically, it says, what do you have to do? You have to feed the hungry, simple, direct. Give drink to the thirsty. Give a stranger a welcome. In those terms, a welcome meant to help people find what they need when they come to visit. Is there food, clothes, and shelter? What do they need to survive? Give a stranger a welcome. Naked and you clothed me. In prison and you visited me. I was sick and you nursed me. Right? These are key elements in what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to enter into the kingdom, which is now, which is happening right now. When I was in uh, Europe, Germany, in fact, on one of my hitchhiking trips, I was probably in my late 20s. I was hitchhiking through Germany and got very sick. I had a fever, I was coughing and wheezing. 
you know, I had my little pub tent and my knapsack and a sleeping bag, and I was not in great shape. And I'm hitchhiking from place to place because it was inexpensive and it helped you to see everything that you wanted to see in the country by hitchhiking. I don't necessarily recommend it now, but it worked back then. So what happened was this guy stops and he picks us up. I said, hitching with my friend, Tom. And we told him what city in Germany we're heading towards. And he was heading towards Koblenz also. And he said, in fact, he said, I'm moving. I've just taken my wife and children and one load of furniture and household goods and everything to the new house. I'm going back to the old house to pack up and take some stuff uh, back to the new house. He said, that's great. And heading this way, he said, great. And we chit-chat for a while, became very friendly with a very nice man. And he said, well, look, you guys could sleep on the floor in the living room if you want tonight. There's nobody there and that'll be fine. And as more we're talking, I'm coughing and hacking. And, and he says, you mind if I touch your forehead? He touched my forehead. I said, oh my God. He says, you got a fever and you sound terrible. He says, I'm a doctor. And he said, uh, before we get to the house, we have to go by the, I, got to, I go right by my hospital. He says, let's stop off. Let me check you over and we'll see what we can do for you. I go, oh man, great. So we go in, he checks me out, he says, yeah, yeah. So he gets me some pills to take to help get rid of the fever and the chills and all this stuff and some other medicine. We go back to his house, take the medicine, go to sleep. And the next day I'm feeling absolutely fantastic. And it's because of that idea of I'm, I'm sick and you nurse me and you help me. And it's amazing how often we run into people in this world who do exactly what we need at the time we need them. I believe, again, this is a sign of God caring for us. It's a sign of people doing what they have to do, doing the caring for others that brings about a great world, brings about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God wasn't a term created by Christians. Uh, to some extent, God is recognized as a king in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. And to some extent, the kingdom of God is being established even in the Hebrew scriptures, even in the, New Test in the Old Testament. But what was the difference? In the time of Jesus, there was what was called national eschatology. It was a view of the Messiah who would come at the end of days, all right, who would create something new. And this national eschatology or messianic eschatology was the hope of most Jews. And it was based upon three main passages in the Hebrew scriptures where we get this idea of this king coming and creating a new kingdom. And one of them is from Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter seven, verses 13 to 15. And Daniel says in this passage, and I had this vision during the night, I saw coming with the clouds of heaven, one like the son of man. 
Now, the son of man is a very interesting term because it was the only term that Jesus ever uses to refer to himself in the New Testament. And it comes from this passage. And, it's, and he says, let me continue. One like a son of man, when he reached the ancient of days, the ancient of days, of course, is a reference to God. And the son of man was presented before him, before the ancient of days. And from God, the son of man, he received dominion. Dominion is power over. He has absolute power over. He receives splendor and he receives kingship. I'm talking about kingship in the last uh, podcast, so go back to refer to that idea. And he receives dominion, splendor, and kingship. And who does he have kingship over and dominion over? All the nations, all the peoples, all the tongues will serve this king. Well, that's an amazing idea for the Jewish, Jewish people, that not only will the Messiah come, or this ancient one, or the Son of Man will come, that he'll have power over all the Jews, but he'll have power over all the people. And this power, as it says in verse 14, his dominion will be an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. His kingship one that shall not be destroyed. So the Jewish people take this concept and they wrapped it into this national eschatology or national messianism about waiting for this this king to come who's going to take over everything and bring about this new kingdom. In the time of Jesus, they believed he'd be a great warrior king the Jews were waiting for. They're waiting for this Messiah who's going to unite all the Jewish people, get them all together, create a great army, overcome the Roman Romans, get rid of the Romans, and then create this idyllic peace. And this idyllic peace would be played out by the Messiah from the house of David. This happy future of Israel was characterized by peace, relief from all suffering, a great fertility of the land, everything would grow great, there would be an abundance of children to help all their parents on the farms and take care of the livestock, everybody would have a very long life, and there would be justice and holiness, piety and religious devotion, even among the Gentiles, even among those who weren't Jews, would come as pilgrims to Jerusalem. The Jews were envisioning an incredibly different world. This world ruled by Jewish people, ruled by the Messiah who came. And the two other quotes that I want to share with you are from Isaiah. And again, these are very familiar to a lot of Christians because we use these two quotes from Isaiah to talk about Jesus as this king. And in chapter 11 of Isaiah, it says, verses 1 to 9, But a, shout, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, Jesse was David's father, so it is about the Davidic king. And from his roots, a bud shall blossom. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, 
a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. Now by fear of the Lord, they don't mean that you're afraid of God or afraid of the Lord, but that you're afraid not to be in good relationship with God. You don't want to lose your relationship with God. And this king will not by appearance shall he judge, not by hearsay shall he decide, but he shall judge the poor with justice. A remarkable idea to give justice even to poor people where most people don't get justice because they are being bribed. And this great Messiah, national Messiah, will decide fairly for the lands afflicted. He will strike down the ruthless with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall stay the wicked. Justice shall be the band around his waist, and faithfulness a belt upon his hips. Then the wolf shall be a guest of the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and a calf with the young lion shall browse together. So you get this idea again, what we've talked about last class, last pod, this peace will come. Nature will be in sync. Not even animals will be fighting. Everything will be at peace. And it says, the baby shall play by the viper's den. A viper is a very poisonous snake. And the child shall lay his hand on an adder's lair. Again, another poisonous animal. But they shall not harm or destroy anybody on the holy mountain. For the earth shall be filled with knowledge of the Lord as water covers the seas. So you're not going to have any problems. Everything is going to be perfectly calm and beautiful and lovely. And chapter 9 of Isaiah, again, brings out this point of who this Messiah would be. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is Isaiah chapter 9. Upon those who lived in a land of gloom, a light has shone. You have brought them abundant joy and great rejoicing. They rejoice before you as a people rejoices at harvest. They exult with, while dividing the foils. For the, loke, for the yoke that burned them, the pole on their shoulder, the rod of the taskmaster you have smashed as on the day of Midian. So they talk about this great moment that all will become at peace. Not for every boot that tramped in battle, every cloak that was rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, upon his shoulders dominion rests. They name him Wonder, Counselor, God, Hero, Father Forever, Prince of Peace. His dominion is vast and forever peaceful, Shalom. Upon David's throne and over his kingdom, where he confirms and sustains by judgment and justice, both now and forever. The zeal of the host will be do this. So we get this idea of the coming kingdom of national Messiah, basically from the Old Testament, and it's brought into the New Testament at various points. Now, national eschatology was one main idea. Most people really believe that that was the Messiah that was coming. This great warrior king, going to get all the Jews together, going to beat up the Romans, and then he's going to create this incredible, peaceful place, but on earth. Then, 
Again, in Jesus' time, there were other ideas of this messianism. The second idea was called transcendent universal eschatology. Transcendent universal eschatology. Eschatology means dealing with the last days. So what did some other people think was going to happen? Well, there were a group of people called the Essenes, and you might have heard about them. They had a community uh, in Qumran, and in Qumran they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, these very old writings of the community and very old uh, writings of the, of the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, the Essenes presented a different view of the Messiah. They felt there was going to be two Messiahs. But before the Messiah came, because the world is so evil, the Essenes believed that the world is so evil that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were evil, and they believed a lot of the Jews were evil. They didn't think the Pharisees and the Sadducees and a number of other sects and groups of Judaism were doing a good job. So they believed that the whole world has become too evil. And what must happen? They believed that the whole world had to be destroyed. The whole earth had to be wiped out again. And the whole earth would be wiped out. And then God would create two messiahs. One messiah would be a kingly messiah to rule the people and be a good king, make sure everybody had work, clothes, food, shelter, and a good place to live and protection from everybody. And they believed that there would be a kingly Messiah and a prophetic Messiah. A prophetic Messiah was one who would let the people know what God wanted them to do and would help them understand God in their life. And the Essenes believed that in this particular place in this beautiful new world, all right, everything again would be at peace. There would be a great peace among the Jews and the Gentiles. There'd be a great peace among families. There'd be a great fertility of the land. Everything would be great. So these two ideas of uh, the kingdom that was to come were very much prevalent in the time of Jesus. Matthew 25, verses 21 to 46, of course, presents what he sees as the people who should bring about this great kingdom. Thank you very much. We'll be back. Bye-bye.